Bunny? Bunny way. Bunny way. Bunny way. Bunny way. What's that mean? I have no idea. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Trash Talk, Every Frame a Dumpster Fire. I'm TK, a.k.a. Trash, a.k.a. the creator of all things Trash, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric. Hello. Uh, we are going to be starting very first ever episode, very fittingly, with the movie Stargate. A very important movie in my life, in a way. And, um, kind of okay? I don't know. It's early Roland Emmerich. It's a very interesting film that ended up spawning a massive franchise, surprisingly. But we'll just be getting into the first film. Yes, there is definitely not time to go through the entire 10 season series, plus the spinoff, plus the other two movies. But um, I think we're just going to start, as I think we will with every episode, how many sheen beans out of 10 sheen beans do you give this movie? Ooh, out of 10? Out of 10. That's tricky. It's always hard to give ratings to films. Um, probably a five or a six for me. I, that's about where I'm at is a, a five and a half, I think. It's, it boils... I don't know how you get a half sheen bean. He gets cleaved by an orc and it's a half sheen bean. Oh yeah, that'll work out. It It's a lot of stuff in this film that is like above average. Some of the stuff which is just pure schlock. So it sort of balances yeah. out, out in the middle. But this is this is a favorite of yours from when you were a kid, yeah? Um... So the way this actually started was my dad watched was watching the TV series because it was it, the TV series started in in the early 2000s when I was just about old enough to watch it like some of the later seasons when things I remember watching and it was like right on it was actually right on the borderline some of the episodes of a little too creepy for me even though they're <laughs> not they're not that creepy but you know I was a wuss but even now I'm still a wuss but but I remember watching it and then from there it was airing daily right at the time I got home from school in junior high. And because they were doing an episode a day, you got through it really quickly. So I, I ended up watching the whole series. Yeah, Just yeah. get home, grab a bowl of the shittiest sugary cereal, and watch Stargate. So, And then I just fell in love. And from there, I just rewatched the series 20 times. But that's not the point. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the movie. We're, we're trying to get into um, talking about the better series. And then... Eventually, like just from re- loving the series, I went. I should probably see the movie, and I think Dad and I watched the movie at one point, and I was like, "Oh, so this is how it started." And I remember at that point, I really liked it, but I think that was just the hype of this is more Stargate. Hmm. It's not, it, yeah, it's not amazing. Well, it's an interesting premise, and it's one that's sort of written by Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, and directed by Roland Emmerich, who people are probably more familiar with for having done. Uh, you know, 2012, um, Independence Day, um, those sorts of big disaster movies. Um, I was surprised, knowing that it was a Roland Emmerich film, that millions of people didn't die in the most gratuitous, over-the-top ways imaginable. So yeah, it's clear yeah. that this is earlier in his career when and he actually really... needed, like, a premise to, to make a film instead of, you know, big action pieces. Um, I will say, we haven't really gotten into it yet. Spoiler warning, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. I literally have the whole, I have sort of a timeline written down here to go through. So so what is Stargate 1994 all about? Uh, it sort of, it opens up in 8000 BC. And it's sort of showing this, this sort of tribal group of people just doing their thing. And then an alien spaceship starts to land and they sort of show the people reacting to that and then they skip straight into 1928 uh dig site in if i remember correctly giza in a scene ripped straight out of raiders of the lost ark oh for sure um should be giza in the tv so they always say it was found the, the stargate was found in giza so i'm going off that let's go with it um yeah they, they find it uh, they dig it up and they don't know what it is and then it skips to quote-unquote present day, the 90s. We get Belloc, I mean, um, old archaeologist guy, uh, basically exclaiming, what is this? And then we go from there. It's great. And we skip ahead to present day at what I assume is supposed to be an archaeology conference. Yeah, yeah. And we get my favorite character from the TV series, and maybe my favorite character from the movie as well, Daniel Jackson, played by... James Spader. James Spader. Yeah. I, I know who he is. 
He's Ultron. He's yes, he also is. Red uh, Reddington Black from the Blacklist. That's not his name. His name is Reddington something. I don't think his name is Black. Anyways, um, present day. And basically, he's going off about how the pyramids weren't built when everybody thinks they were built. They were built at a very different time. And probably by aliens, but he's reluctant to actually say that yeah. because then everybody thinks he's crazy. And it's clear he has no respect or clout in the scientific community. He's come up with all these like bonkers theories, basically saying all your evidence is wrong. You know, new evidence suggests that these these new theories are are actually correct, and you people are living a lie, and that doesn't do him any favors. It's a sort of Roland Emmerich cliche at this point, where the scientist <laughs> the who actually well, yeah. it's a scientist who looks crazy to everyone else, but actually knows what the heck he's talking about is totally discredited and turns out vindicated in the end. Um, I, a, a small little tidbit that I, I absolutely love. So I'm going to spoil the TV series a little bit. In the TV series, they explain that the Stargates were built by the first evolution of man. We are the second evolution of man. One of the things that, the, that those people did is they also built Atlantis. Atlantis is a real place. It's a city built by these first evolution of man called the Ancients. In another galaxy. They also were the ones who built the Stargate. And a quote from one of the people making fun of Daniel Jackson saying that these these pyramids were built by aliens is, uh, who do you think built them? Men from Atlantis? Well, actually, <laughs> no, the pyramids weren't. But the pyramids were built by the aliens who are using the Stargates, built by the men from Atlantis. Nice. And I, I'm I'm very curious if the showrunners, the whole idea for Atlantis that ends up being a spin-off series of SG. They just the picked series, up on that one sort of took throwaway that one line. line and <laughs> made an entire five season series out of it. Oh, that would be fantastic. But yeah, so there's that. Um But James Spader's character is quickly abducted, I mean ushered into a vehicle with uh from this government agency. Um they pick up on the fact that he's actually spitting straight facts. And he has, uh, and and they recognize his genius, even when the rest of the academic community doesn't. He's taken to a secret military bunker, and uh, promptly manages to show his expertise. And I think what's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, where he's he's asked to translate some Egyptian hieroglyphs, and um, the scientists there have already done their part. But you know, he just walks in there and magically translates everything perfectly because he is a super genius. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, another little tidbit. The first of the actors who are in the movie and the TV series, Gary Mayer's PhD, the man who Daniel goes and corrects, is played by Richard Kind, who does come back not in SG-1, but in Atlantis, and not as Gary Mayer's, but as Lucius Lovin, the very annoying over-the-top character. Lucius that Lovin. That sounds like a character from Harry Potter. His, That's a good his, name. His, like, the first... The first episode he's in, his whole thing is he's got some sort of like magic, magical. There's a scientific explanation for it because it's sci-fi, not fantasy, but some sort of magical elixir that he wears is like perfume that makes everyone basically fall in love with him. <laughs> Straight out and of like the, And That's the main great. characters fall in love with him and then it goes through him like trying to be in charge of Atlanta. Yeah, just I thought that was interesting that he's one of the few actors who have been in both the TV and the movie even though not the same characters. Nice. But yeah, moving forward from there, Jackson figures out that you need to use the symbols to dial the Stargate in the crew. Well, he does a translation and then later figures out what the symbols mean. And in a meeting with a bunch of people smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of coffee, he explains all this only to find out that it is real. The Stargate is real, and he just figured out how to use it. Yeah. That, that these symbols are representations of star constellations that would be used to triangulate a point in space. How does he figure out that it is, in fact, constellations that are being depicted on the Stargate? It's it's a pretty dumb scene. I don't remember He it goes to, like, well. refill his, his the coffee oh, pot yeah, with and water, he and he sees, sees the guard reading... Uh, yeah. He sees a security guard reading from the from the newspaper, and there's a constellation of Orion on the front. I forget what it's advertising, but it's it's just there, and it's like his eureka moment. And it just it it it, it's, it, it seems kind of dumb. Yeah, well, it's not the first dumb. Point it, it's in this not movie, the first but... dumb thing in this movie, but it starts you off good. 
Um, yeah. the, this it doesn't weight itself down with a lot of like scientific jargon or mumbo jumbo. It's like oh, these constellations they they're they're coordinates, and ah. it basically allows us to transport to you know location A to location B once we know where in three dimensional space you know these locations are. Great, you can get past that very quick. It doesn't spend a lot of time talking about you know physics or uh or, or all the how crazy convoluted details official wormhole for example oh yeah yeah which they do get again in the tv series they got way more time they get into that so then the, they they figure it out and the decision is made they've got to go they've got to go to this planet they've they figured out how to dial the gate and they've got to go but that's not before we're introduced to colonel kurt ah, russell yeah. colonel kurt russell colonel Jack O'Neill, a very important character in both the movie and the TV series, as you would expect. Interestingly, they go from Kurt Russell, big name actor, to in the TV series, Richard Dean Anderson, a.k.a. MacGyver. Nice. Which is an interesting change. I'll still stick with Kurt Russell any day. He was Snake Plissken, so. I I actually don't like Jack in this movie as much. I'm with you on that. It it doesn't take advantage of much of Kurt Russell's charisma. We just get the depresso espresso colonel, and that's about the end of his characterization until the very end. Did you did you catch the whole reasoning as to why he's so depressed? Oh yeah, and, they, I mean they outright say it. But... Well, well, they 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 say and they don't tell. It's um his his son had just killed himself recently in a gun accident which his, they don't elaborate was, his, was suicide or not his yeah they do elaborate more in the tv series but i think what they're trying to tell you and what it ends up being in the tv series is his son commit su or not commit suicide cuz he was a, he was like was playing with a gun and accidentally killed himself and okay. it turns out that that gun was jack o'neill's service pistol Ah. And that is why. And that is why they choose him to go on this, what turns out to be very much a suicide mission. Okay, I thought it was just, you know, the fact that he's he's a colonel sort, sort of... No, the, the, gen- the general who chose like him knows he's got absolutely nothing wish. to lose yeah. at this point. Yeah, He's he's like, I don't care. And the way you know? that we get the, this information is that uh, the two army officers who come to get him from his home, they have a brief exchange of dialogue saying, oh boy, you looked pretty down, didn't he? Well, he, he, you know, that's no surprise. His his son just, you know, accidentally killed himself. And that's that's what we get. We do get a brief introduction to his wife, who we never see ever again in anything. She doesn't exist. Yeah, clearly they're he has di- nothing by, to live for. By the TV series, they're divorced, and that's it. Okay. That's the, she's never never to be seen again. That would, so, that would go a bit further to sell us that he's a little more down in the dumps. I think the implication is that the divorce happens because he's so down in the dumps and and it destroys their marriage. That, that makes more sense. Even though by the end of the movie he seems fine. Oh, yeah, but, but I guess you can. He, argue he overcomes that through ter- through through several several means. He sort of gets a surrogate son in uh, in a character that starving. he meets later on. Yes, Scara. The next, and we'll we'll get to talking about who Scara is, but the next of the characters played by actors who continue to play that. That Scara is played by Alexis Cruz, who does return for the role of Scara in the TV series. One of the few carryovers. Um, yeah, so they've got Jack O'Neill. And basically, what they know about the Stargate is that it will take them to at least one other planet. They have been unable to make it take them anywhere until Daniel Jackson comes in and super geniuses the root, the, the solution to going there. And that there's bad aliens at the other end, probably. So their solution is they're going to send Daniel Jackson, Colonel Jack O'Neill. Uh, is Kowalski a major? I major don't remember Kowalski? his rank. I just thought him all as interchangeable military guys. Uh, the, 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 the other important character, in my opinion, is Kowalski because he does make a return in the TV series, though I believe it's a different actor. But Kowalski does come back in the TV series. Um, but yeah, basically a bunch of military dudes, Colonel Jack O'Neill and Dr. Daniel Jackson are going to go through the gate and see what's at the other side. The thing they don't tell anybody except Colonel Jack O'Neill is that they're also sending a nuclear bomb so that if there are aliens at the other end, they're going to do the most American thing possible and just nuke the shit out of them. Yeah. Why? Well, it's, it's it was a few years before Starship Troopers, so it's it's always good to see that, you know. That 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 uh, militaristic spirit continues even before before a movie like that. 
it's just i guess it it you know it doesn't it makes sense because if that feels like what they would do yeah the logic doesn't track of they've they have the technology to build ships that can land on our pyramids and portals that can transport you across the galaxy one nuke is gonna wipe them out (laughs) we already know they can travel between planets and like in space one nuke is gonna what if there's just more of them on another oh, planet? Sh- now you've just pissed them off. By the time we see the actual <laughs> alien threat in this movie, we learn that it is not much of a threat and that they are easily defeatable by even the dumbest of the human cast. In the movie, yes. And then that changes. Good. Um, But yes, so they go to this planet. But it's not before our dear Dr. Jackson gets the magical amulet Chekhov's amulet in in this case that will come in very very handy in the store to come. I never thought of I never thought of the the I I saw it. I never thought about it as like a Chekhov's gun. Plot point thing. bells ding yeah. ding ding. Interesting. Here, take this amulet of no real significance. Well, no, it's some very <laughs> significant. Uh yeah, so they travel to they go Actually, no, I'm going to jump back a bit. They dial the gate. It goes, the whole the whole of Cheyenne Mountain shakes and rumbles. And then it activates. And we get this in... wonderful abyss-like sequence with when the gate activates. There are these really cool like water effects, which actually really surprised me for like 1994. Has some yes, really I have fun some, I have some fun facts about that. That's oh, where good. I'm getting to. One, it's called the Kawoosh. Now and forever it is called the Kawoosh. Even Kawush. in the TV series, the characters... It is technically the the unstable event horizon of the artificial wormhole. They call it the Kawoosh. Even the scientist who understands it, because Jack O'Neill's too dumb to understand it, calls it the Kawoosh. Nice. I'm going to get the details a little bit wrong because it's been a while since I heard this story. But my understanding is the VFX guys that came up with that. It was really genius in my opinion. They got a waterproof camera, they stuck it underwater pointing up, and they took an air gun and sprayed air into the water. Oh, nice. And it's the air making that like water drop effect that comes down. It people can't see my hands, but the the kaloosh into the water that they then like rotoscoped and or colored and did some effects on to make the effect of the stargate. It's a damn good effect. I think it's the best one in the film. The director hated it. Really? He they showed it to him and he fired them on the spot. <laughs> and then a while later for some reason rehired them. And then they and then he, again they needed an effect for the gate and they reapproached him about it and he fired them again. And wow. then later rehired them again. Very Tommy Wiseau-esque. Dude. The, the Roland Emmerich was notoriously capricious on a lot of his movies like his, his actors and the other people working with him like didn't get a full didn't get a good sense of of what he wanted or what he was doing part of that was like the language barrier um i think it was from germany or austria but you know he was he was very very flighty and fun to work with apparently by that i mean totally unpredictable and chaotic if i'm not mistaken in the end they just didn't have anything else and they ran out of time and budget so he said screw it let's go with that and it's good actually enough. fantastic yeah it's actually quite good and does and and again carries over into the i'm sure by the the late like the i think like the 10th season of stargate came out in like 2008 or something like that by then they were doing some computer effects on it oh, yeah, sure. yeah. especially in the later seasons Eventually, they introduce a super gate, which is a stargate in space big enough for ships to go through. I'm surprised he hated that effect because it looked really good. And if you take a look at some of the effects later in the film, you get the spaceships that are, like, clearly being held up by strings that are, like, very planned from outer space. I I love it because it's practical and looks really good. So, like, it gets around the fact that a lot of the time you can get practical effects that don't look very good because they're not very There's some cheap and really schlocky stuff later on in this movie. (laughs) And just in general, the time, your choice was you hope you have a guy who can or, or a team who can do practical effects well, because computer effects aren't very good at this point. So, yeah, they get the big kawoosh, whatever. They go through the gate and they end up in a dark hole somewhere. Yep. And they can't see it. Uh, I'm going to sort of move through this bit a little bit quickly, but they, they quickly realize that they are inside a pyramid inside the side of a hill on the alien planet and they start setting up and what needs to happen is dr daniel jackson needs to figure out the symbols to dial home 
so or else they, they're stuck. Or else they're stuck and gonna get nuked. Uh, from there, we get the the lovely comedic effect of of Daniel Jackson meeting a giant desert tauntaun, desert tauntaun buffalo type thing mm-hmm. that gets scared, runs off. Of course, in a in a you know a slapstick. He's being dragged style, behind it. The rope wraps around his foot. He gets dragged along. And that leads them to discover this entire civilization that's on this planet. Uh, the people who decide that they're gods, because they must have come through the Stargate, and only gods come through the they Stargate. See, uh, they see Dr. Jackson's magical little little amulet with the Eye of Ra in it. And they seem to think that he's uh, he's the god Ra returned to them. Because they're all, they're, they're like the technological level of like the ancient Egyptians. The sort of culture is very similar. Um, for them, uh, yes. writing has been banned, outlawed. Their dialect is very like ancient Egyptian. And I don't know how well they explain that in the movie, but there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason basically is that they are like the the most of humanity, or most of humanity that you can access through the Stargate using the set of symbols that are on this planet they've gone to were put there by the the evil ghouls, evil gods as slaves brought from ancient Egypt on Earth. Mm-hmm. They originate in ancient Egypt on Earth, but they've been subjugated for thousands upon thousands they, of years. They do explain that. There are, there are a few bits of dialogue that uh, that our big bad Ra comes later on in the film and uh, and explains that. Um, there's a big language barrier to begin with, and this is sort of one of the areas where it gets into, like, sort of sci-fi conceptual territory. One of the sort of themes and ideas that you see a lot in science fiction, you see in, like, Star Trek a lot, in movies like Enemy Mine, is is language and communication. How do you communicate with people who are, you know, who are either alien or who, like, don't speak your language? And we get to hear a lot of the language of these, um, like, ancient Egyptian tribes people. And uh, there's no subtitles for the longest time in the movie, nope. and it's unusually artsy a decision. It's it's odd. This 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 film did re- pretty well. It was it was a bit of a blockbuster, the fifteenth highest grossing movie of of ninety four, and it's 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 an odd decision <laughs> because you don't see that a lot in, in in big blockbusters. But what they do, what's really clever, I think, is at once Doctor Jackson sort of learns the language and pieces it together, like you know, 70, 80 minutes into the film, they start subtitling it yes. whenever Jackson's president, present. So, you know, he understands it, and then we as the audience understand it as well. I was very surprised by that. I thought that was unusually clever. Yeah, and it, it, it lets them sort of... They don't have to do the whole... They don't have to do a Star Trek and... We've got this magic device that is a translate everything box. Yeah, yeah, the universal translator. That is never universal either. <laughs> it, it never fucking, like, half of the stories in Star Trek are, it's not working. Darmak and Jalad at Tanagra. Exactly. That That's... That's that is, that's not really a failing of the translator, it's just they've encountered a language that is, that like... so weird. They just can't, can't figure out um, how it works. I, on a side note, that's one of my... Favorite episodes conceptually, mine too. But exe- but it's so boring. It's <laughs> super fucking boring. It, it gives us the most badass Picard moment where he just walks up onto the bridge and knows the aliens' language, having like learned it for the past yeah. forty minutes it, and it, gone through all this. It gives me a lot of a lot of Picard is Picard is the Daniel Jackson of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. In a way, um, going back to Stargate. So yeah, they, they've met these people. Jackson sort of figures out how to how to communicate a little bit, and essentially they get invited over for dinner. They're gonna go hang out with these people and eat dinner, and 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 sort of figure out what they're all about. And an early part of dinner that ends up being sort of significant is a bunch of the tribal women come up with their with their sort of leaf shaped buckets of drink, and to me at least, it seems pretty obvious that like if you take the drink that means you're married Mm. that's how this works and uh daniel jackson takes the drink he ends up married basically he takes the drink they have dinner whatever and then 
They go to go to bed, and the woman that he has taken the drink from, who turns out to be the daughter of the leader of the tribe. Shayori. Uh, Share. Share. Yeah, pronunciation's a little... Uh, That's our main female lead of this film. She shows up and starts taking off all of her clothes. Yes. And I don't know how to feel about this scene, because on the one... Because I get, like... They are... They just... The way that it would have been for their cultural development, which is basically stuck in 8,000 BC culture, right? Mm-hmm. Not saying it's good, but that's that's where they would have been. It's it's the universe that they're in. Um, I don't know. And then, yeah, Jackson does kind of the right thing of, like, I feel his pain in that situation because, like, he really doesn't want to sleep with, like, he doesn't want this. Oh, yeah, he feels weird about the whole He's situation. super weirded yeah. out. He is also a super awkward nerd to begin with. And then, like, but also realizes shortly after trying to get her to leave. Oh, that's a brave insult. That it's a huge insult and and actually probably means she's going to be looked down upon by the tribe. So then he doesn't make her leave, but then what's the assumption? And then, well, it's great how you can pick up on all of that when most of the dialogue is done in a completely ridiculous made-up language you yeah. you get the sense of like the shock and like you you refuse our gift from the tribes leader it's it's basically a grave insult it's like is my daughter not good enough for you turns out she is but that's later in the movie <laughs> that they they end up and 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 legitimately in the in the tv series that does she does end up being his wife yeah and and playing an important role and he does fall in love with her um they start figuring out what's going on and then the bad guys show up Indeed. What was the trigger for them showing up? Did they just show up, or did they, like, I, some I, somehow realize the Stargate was activated? I wasn't clear on that. Honestly, I wasn't either. I think they just showed up. Just uh, bad luck. Because the, the plot demands them to? Yeah. Um, and we get introduced, first of all, to the... I don't know what they would be called. Because, obviously, this god gets gets killed. In the TV series, the next god comes and takes over, and he's the snake god. So he has the serpent guard, and their heads are snakes. In this, they're jackals? It's a combination of, or, like, or there's there's the Horus guy, there's the Anubis one. Um, but, yeah, basically, Ra, we learn a bit about the backstory, isn't a god. He's, he's like, from this super advanced alien race. And he came to, to Earth and this planet, desert planet that we're on now... And um, basically, uh, sort of invaded. Um, Ra himself was like sick and dying. He was like the last of an alien race. Had some sort of like incurable illness, and he just needed like a body to possess. So they get to this planet, find this human kid, possesses him, uh, gets worshipped as a god because you know of all their technology, technology and power, yeah. and uh, that sort of goes into myth. The 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 you know the. The, the raw guy leaves, um, everything goes into myth, he's the one that commanded that they, you know, that the humans on this planet never learn how to read, but his guard are humans? I, I wasn't totally clear so, on that. Yeah, they don't, again, I don't think they explain, there's a lot, there's a lot to this universe that doesn't get into this movie, that gets made up for the show. Um, in the show, the guard are human, but... They're not possessed by the same species that raw is, are they? they are, in the show, they have a, a, a cross-shaped opening in their belly, okay, and a special sack where the like young, like child version of the the alien that is possessing that body, they basically use them as incubators, and in in Frank style, Quato style, yes, yes, and including the open your shirt. <laughs> Yeah, the snake almost <laughs> almost alien esque with the chest burster, but nice. like the stomach, and and it explains that the these these guard they're called the Jaffa live extremely long and are are stronger and faster and more capable than most other humans because the the larvae version of this alien essentially essentially is a steroid for them it places their immune system with something much stronger. Okay, it so like a symbiotic spread. parasite type relationship. And and that's what keeps these 
ultra powerful warrior besides the fact that that these warriors are taught to believe that their gods are our literal gods yeah, and yeah. you are loyal to your god without these aliens they would die because without once the alien isn't in you 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 have no immune system and you basically you you die mm-hmm. similar similar to people who have Im- immune disorders in real life but it's just this thing gone you have no immune system you die so that's what they are um, if we want to talk about effects in this movie that aren't good, <laughs> there's the, the, the helmet, the way the helmet on the guards opens. That's some janky CG there. Some janky CG. I, I, I like the look of the helmets. It has this cool, like biomechanical look. The, the eyes of, uh, like the Anubis and the Horus guards are, are, are these, these really cool, like lens effects and they can, you know, change color when they're like zooming in. Um, that's really cool. The costumes are all, all right. Um, but they, I, they grow increasingly ridiculous and Raw's outfits just become <laughs> so absurd and crazy and cheap looking. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the best. It's not as like opulent as I, as I, as, as, as sort of should have been done. They feel a bit cheap. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how in the TV series they do the effect. But in the TV series, and it's a different, mostly at least to start the TV series, it's a different god. It is Anubis in this one. So the guards are different. They have snake heads. But the snake heads are made up of, like, overlapping plates of metal that fold back. And they don't fold back completely. Like, there's some left. But the effect is just so, from from episode one, the effect is infinitely better than this movie. Yeah, yeah. It looks significantly more practical. I don't know how they did it, but it, it it's just in in this movie it feels like it sort of whooshes back and disappears in a very it just evaporates nineties CG style. It just yeah. it doesn't fit with with the world and a little bit of hand wavy like they <laughs> they have super technology therefore, sure. um, and 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 then not a lot else very interesting necessarily happens. They basically do the action movie thing. They fight the bad guys. They win. Yeah, they... this is this is after Doctor Jackson magically learns how to speak the language, or seemingly magically. He and Shayuri Shai Share Share. Oh, my pronunciation is so bad. Everyone's gonna butcher me. Basically, takes him to the the, the catacombs. Uh, where where he learns the learns the language off of the the wall paintings and it's and he's basically like oh the dialect is just the same it's just you got to learn the vowels properly and it's a very hand wavy way of of him sort of sort of learning the language um, and uh, at that point he also comes across the um, the sort of um, signal stone that gives the the coordinates necessary for them to activate the stargate but the last sign, the seventh one, is missing. And that becomes a, a plot element going forward as well. So they're at this point they're getting invaded by Ra, the technically advanced technologically advanced, you know, alien destructor. And we still have an activated Stargate. And the rest of the cast is finally learning what Colonel Kurt Russell is up to and uh, and and have to uh, have to, you know, deal with the bomb that he attached to the Stargate. Indeed. High the stakes. Big ass bomb. High stakes. Which you find out. Actually, I don't know if you find out in this movie, but that bomb would do significantly more because the nuclear reaction would set off the material that the Stargate's made out of, which makes it even more reactive. Right. Um. Yeah, they kind of. I don't know. This is where it kind of just. The rest happens. I, I'm less. There's less interest. The, this movie is really carried by the, the 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 premise, which has a lot of interesting ideas and details that aren't fully fleshed out. Um, the characters are are a bit bit shallow. It, it's a combination like adventure in the style of like Indiana Jones or or the Mummy, and those movies are always carried by the, the characters and sort of like the unique visuals, unique ideas. Like Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark is. You don't need complex villains, you know. <laughs> the the villains and raiders are, you know, actual Nazis. You don't get like much more black and white morality than that. But what carries it is like, you know, Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones, 
uh, Marin, uh, and all the characters and quips and, and weird images of, of Raiders and a lot of the other Indiana Jones films. This one doesn't quite have that. I, the characterization seems quite thin, especially with someone like, you know, Dr. Jackson. His, his, his character traits are nerd, socially awkward, super genius, and, and yeah. that's sort of, sort of about it. Strong, he doesn't, strong morals. He doesn't really challenge, he doesn't really have to undergo much or, or do much in terms of what's, like, particularly impressive. Colonel Kurt Russell is, is sort of just <laughs> along for the ride, and... Uh, and he has some he has some good scenes with his the the surrogate son um mm -hmm. Skara, who 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 you know the kid he he teaches him how to use a lighter and they of course think it's magic <laughs> um he teaches them not to use assault rifles which is uh you know good good thinking on his part his 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 whole a big part of his whole character is children must not use guns because my son died that's something i can get behind i'm okay with that <laughs> But then they end up using the guns anyways, because mm -hmm. the next major plot point, sort of, is the is obvious. So the main characters Jackson and 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 O'Neill get captured by the bad guys. They're up on the ship. Um, oh, didn't mention that Raw, our villain, is played by Shay Davids or pardon me, um, yeah, uh, Jay Davidson who was also in The Crying Game previously. Um, he plays a very androgynous role in that movie. And that was sort of uh, part of his casting in this movie, is that they wanted him to sort of creep you out a bit. Um, and that's why he is flanked by these these groups of, like, nubile slave children. Yeah, that... There, there's some weird stuff, and it's sort of meant to creep you out as an audience member. Which it does. Yeah, yeah. And there's some unintentional hilarity at the end of the film regarding those kids, yeah. uh, but but we'll get into that. But it's 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 a it's a creepy visual, and the the way they do like the processing on his voice, it's this really like deep, bizarre sort of voice that doesn't match the lips. There's some like eye effects that really like glowy eye effects and make him look quite alien. Those two will very much persist through yeah. the TV series. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it turns out the aliens are very easily defeatable. Their yeah. their main source of technology are their their ships on wires. Yeah, there are some 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 scenes lay, uh, scenes in the movie where you see the wires on the spaceships and it looks kind of kind of janky. And these giant like staves that are capable of of shooting like this electrical energy. And one of the, I would argue one of the themes of the movie, though it's far less obvious and far less pronounced than the TV series is that if you think about it and you look at the way things progress, the downfall of the aliens is overconfidence and that their entire technology has progressed and evolved over however many thousands of years of, of, of subjugating significantly technologically inferior humans to do that the the you look at the staff weapons and if you really think about it they're not and i i am sort of stealing this concept from the tv series because they talk about this later on someone literally says this line but you look at a staff weapon a staff weapon is a weapon to scare people to terrorize people you look at a gun you look at an assault rifle made by humans on earth this is a weapon to kill people and that is it yeah it's ruthlessly practical yeah, they, the the aliens certainly seem to be all about pomp and circumstance. Their 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 attire, their their masks aren't particularly effective. It it seems to be yeah all about sort of scaring or or, or intimidating humans into which, which makes sense. They've spent thousands of years sure. intimidating humans. That's their whole their whole livelihood. Their whole everything is based on we are the gods. You fear us. But what comes with that is that they are easily defeatable, even by a ragtag gang of. Of, of children <laughs> with earth guns with earth guns and a nuke the new nu the nuke plays a big role the nu in... nuke plays a big role as we as we see um we get introduced shortly okay so the main characters are captured by the bad guys we go through the whole creepy voice nubile slave man that whole fun and then it comes to they're going to be executed in front of the entire village on the sort of plateau stairwell in front of the pyramid. D and Dr. Jackson has to do that himself. Ra tasks him with uh, with with killing his comrades. 
and Ra lets him know that soon after that he will blow up Earth. So what actually happens is all of these, you know, teenage boys essentially in the village have gone and collected a bunch of guns. They've gone and collected a bunch of the guns that the humans brought with them. Why this team of about five or ten dudes brought, like, 25 assault rifles, some rocket launchers, like, why they Colonel Kurt Russell has contingency plans. He knows what he's doing. I guess they were going into a situation where they expected to run into an entire armada of aliens and have to set off a nuke. But, like, still... Where did it all? Anyways, they got a oh, whole bunch of guns. The best thing about the guns too is that they all make the sta- the the stock effect, the ka-ch- like the, yeah. the very the the standard the very, stock. It it, it stock. Tis a nineties movie. Yeah. Um. So these these boys, they have the guns. They're all sort of gathered with the rest of the village to watch the execution. Uh, Doctor Jackson realizes that they have the guns and that there's sort of a plan here. So instead of shooting his friends, he turns and shoots one of the guards, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, in all the chaos, the the Colonel Kurt Russell and the rest of the soldiers manage to break away and escape and get away from the aliens, and they reconvene with our ragtag gang of child soldiers. And then basically a rebellion happens. They fight the gods, they go through a bunch of combat, and uh, I think... What happens is, by this point, the nuke has been armed for a while. So Colonel Colonel Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson go to try and stop the nuke from going off. And they can't. It won't disarm. The military chose Jack O'Neill because they knew he had nothing to lose. But knowing that he's still a man of morals, or he may just be a, 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 a what they would call a coward. He may change his mind. They instead... Gave him a nuke that cannot be disarmed. It's going off no matter what. And earlier in the movie, we get introduced to a piece of technology called the... I don't know if they give it a name in the movie, but they're called the Rings. A ring platform. Basically, a mini version of the Stargate that instead of transporting you thousands of light years across the galaxy, transports you... To the other set of rings. To the other set of rings, at most a few hundred kilometers away to a ship in orbit, if it were so. Or in this case, a ship a few hundred meters up above the pyramid that they're in. Little teleporter device. And basically, some more fighting happens. And then they send the nuke up on the rings and blow up the ship. And presumably the nubile slave children. And presumably the nubile slave children. I don't think the filmmakers uh, thought too much about this. No. But they, they managed to warp the nuke onto the ship, blowing up Ra. And we just see Ra, but, you know, if we don't see the, 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 the children off the off the ship at any point in this nope. film. So, yeah, yeah, they, they blew up a couple dozen children but as well. They quote-unquote save the day. They save the day. They save With just a little village. bit of collateral damage. Yes. End of movie, basically. The culmination of Jackson's character arc is that he reve- is that he uh, realizes that he has a better life on this desert planet, living with Shayuri, uh, Share, Share, and uh, and <laughs> decides to stay. I-, I thought Colonel Kurt Russell would stay as well. You know, I, I thought he'd have more He's to a... live for in this in this sort of sort of world. But, but I think he still that, has a job to do back on Earth, I suppose. And the intent is that he knows that the that probably the U.S. government and the military aren't going to, or the Air Force in this case, aren't going to be satisfied with we blew up one ship. <laughs> They're going to want to send another nuke to destroy the Stargate itself and this planet. So he he probably realizes that if he doesn't go back and tell the military that they succeeded in their job that the nuke went off behind them that they would send another nuke and kill all these people including daniel jackson and his new surrogate son and whatever so he leaves and tells jackson to bury the stargate for a year and we'll check on you in a year or whatever okay or unbury it in a year. i don't know again i can't i i've i did watch this movie in preparation for this, and I have seen it a handful of times, I still get details a little fuzzy between it and the TV show. In the TV show, it starts up a year later, 
and it seems Jackson, like the like, it sounds like the TV show really worked sort of hard retroactively to make sense of a lot more details and pick up on a lot more plot details uh, in the film. Things that are only like hinted at or, or, or not stated in this movie. Yeah. The, the movie makes makes sense, but it seems like a lot of these details that you're uh, providing really, really fleshes fleshes and us out and gives more things context. you're sort of intended to infer or they just felt weren't, weren't necessary, which is fair. I mean, it's it's already like a two hour movie. You can only give so yeah. much details and exposition. And and that brings us to uh, one thing that I thought I, I wanted to mention one retcon that they make. And this is, we're jumping back to more near the beginning of the movie, but the beginning of the movie, they've got this big board that's a, a transparent glass representation of the known galaxy mm-hmm. and this two-axis arm that shows where the wormhole is traveling, where it ends up based off of telemetry they're getting out of the Stargate. How they know how to interface with the Stargate <laughs> without understanding how to use it or what it really does, I don't know. But they make this comment, they watch this thing go across the board, and then someone makes a comment to Jackson. I think it's Catherine that recruited him, makes a comment, yes, that is the other side of our known galaxy. That gets so retconned <laughs> so hard in the first episode of the of the TV series. Nice. Because how do you make a TV series if there's one planet you can go to? There's not a lot of story left, right? So they retcon that with, there's a whole bunch of addresses on there. There's a whole bunch of addresses in the runes at this planet, mm-hmm. known as Abydos, eventually. A whole bunch more addresses. The reason that they can't dial any of them, even though like they spent all, like between the end of the movie and the start of the TV series, like a year goes by, they spend that whole year just trying addresses. And one of them should have worked. And probably some of the ones they tried are addresses that are on this this uh what they call a cartouche in mm-hmm. the end on this planet they don't work and the reason they give is that the addresses that were created were created thousands upon thousands of years ago things in space move mm. they go interstellar drift the universe is expanding things aren't where they're supposed to be anymore your dialing device your supercomputer in this case earth-based supercomputer has to know to calculate for stellar drift the reason that this one planet works is because it's relatively close to Earth compared to everything else on the planet. I see. So the Stargate doesn't know how to respond to to new phone who dis. In a way, so the Stargate, the Stargate, the Stargate as a ring doesn't know how to do anything. It is just a big supercapacitor, essentially, with some mechanics for 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 generate. But it's actually what they call the dial home device, the DHD, or in Earth's case, a super a 1990s supercomputer that tells it what to dial, how to dial it, where it is, how to make the connection. And because things have drifted, now the super smart aliens that we find about find out about later in the TV series that built these targets, their dial home devices. Their DHD, their dialing devices already know how to do this. So they just work because these people were way smarter than humans. Humans haven't done this. So because this one planet that Jackson has lived on for a year in the movie is in the TV series relatively close to Earth, the amount that they have drifted, they, they're drifting sort of in the same direction as the universe expands for the most part, and because they're close together, the, the, the distance change is fairly minimal. The further away from where you are in the galaxy, from Earth in the galaxy you get, the more things have shifted, the more dramatic the interstellar drift is. Those addresses no longer work. So they figure out they have to write a program to run on Earth's supercomputer to calculate for this. Ah, And that's how they set up the whole TV series, is every week's episode... Until we get into some more more larger overarching storyline, every week's episode is it takes several you know it takes a week or two weeks for Earth's best computer to calculate a new address. So every week is we've got a new address to try. Let's go there and see. Well, what how happens. convenient for a weekly TV series, <laughs> right? Yes. And it's just that, just just that's a that's a good premise for a, for a sci-fi serial. Yeah, so I I wanted to point out that they retcon that. Well, I I'm, I'm well. I actually know how uh, how things sort of should have ended after the end of the movie. Is that we get Doctor Jackson, and one of his character quirks is that he sneezes a lot. 
Mm-hmm. He's apparently has a flu or something. And I kept expecting that to come back in some way, mainly that he's bringing to this new planet of sort of pre-industrial humans diseases from the 20th mm. century. He's, he's, he's bringing it's smallpox and the flu. Fine. It's actually just fine, but realistically, like, the immune system of the people on Abydos should not have been able to, to keep up with with these 20th century humans and uh, and their advanced diseases. Uh, and fine. and a week after he decides to say everyone just comes down with, like, smallpox and diphtheria and everyone is dead except Jackson. The, the... It does come back not in that way. Uh, what happens is... I kept expecting it to be a plot point because he sneezes so goddamn much. Yeah, I know. It's just a funny character flaw. Okay. Character trait. Not really a flaw. It comes back in the TV series in literally episode one, so I don't feel too bad about spoiling this, that what happens is it's been a year. Uh, they unbury the gate. Jackson dials Earth, and I don't know what... Uh, I can't remember what he does. They dial Earth, and then the, the U.S. Air Force goes, hey, what the heck? This guy's supposed to be dead. This gate isn't supposed to exist. Jack, what the fuck? And Jack goes, yeah, actually, we didn't blow it up because there's, like, a bunch of people there and, and whatever. We got to go check on them. Yeah. And the the Air Force goes, well, how do we know it's actually Jackson and not one of these evil aliens? So they send through a box of tissue paper, a box of, <laughs> of Kleenex. They send it through. And then a little while later, the gate dials up. It comes back through with Sharpie on it that just says, please send more. And it's an empty box. Nice. And Jack goes, yep, that's that's got to be Daniel. He was a sneezy boy. I think we're, we're getting near to the end of this movie, what we have to say, and near to the end of our timeline. But you wanted to mention the soundtrack. Yes. The scoring to this movie. Gives a very sweeping mystical feel to these to to affairs. That's it. Really enhances the opening, like Indiana Jones shot. Really gives you that sense of sort of mystery. I, I wrote mystical, rousing, epic. Um, this is what came to the, my mind. So I did the very intelligent thing of I wrote down a representation of the notes from the line that I'm pretty sure is pretty important in the music. I'm not a musician. I don't know what the f- I don't know what the fuck this is supposed to mean that I wrote down. But basically, there's the one the one like riff, the one series of notes that is the Stargate sound. It's like da 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 that all the way through the TV series. That never goes away. That is that is yeah, core Stargate. Theme. Um, we have where do I have it written down here? We have David Arnold to thank for that. Uh, David Arnold is also known for having scored, uh, I think most recently, of the th- the movies that I felt were, were, were notable, most recently Casino Royale. Nice. Uh, Independence Day. Yep. Another Emmerich movie. The 1993 Godzilla. And going back to James Bond, The World is Not Enough. Oh, wow. So a, a fairly accomplished musician composer yeah, yeah. in the movie sphere. And I think he does a great job for this. I, I think it's a good soundtrack. Um, it, it, it fits. Um, yeah, it, it sort of combines that sort of science fiction adventure setting. Um, I, I wanted to ask about that. How does this film hold up for you overall? Like I said, six out of six, six out of ten. It, it's. I think that my biggest problem with it was some of the janky CG really threw me off. And I'm in love with Stargate, with the Stargate that MGM created for me with the TV series. Yeah. This is a little different. And that's fine, because this was more the vision of the original writers, who were not the writers of the TV series, and was intended to be very different. The Stargate that I love isn't as weird and creepy. It doesn't really have as much of the weird young boy slaves and sure, that sure. kind of thing. It's a little bit more fun. It doesn't take its and and our our friend Dan that some of the listeners may or may not know that you definitely know. Actually, that's one of the few TV series that I convinced him to watch and that he liked. Nice. And his thing, and I think an important thing with it is it do- the TV series does not take itself very seriously. It knows that it's a silly sci-fi, and it- it's okay with that in a lot of ways. This movie, 
is takes itself very seriously. Yeah. And it does so in a way that can't quite support it. I, 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 I sort of observe that it's a blend of science fiction and adventure that sort of misses the mark on both accounts. You know, it, it doesn't have the... It, it, this movie has pretty thin characterization. We don't get a real sense of these characters. We don't get a real sense of their issues and, and what they're overcoming and who they are. It misses the mark on being like a charming sort of adventure story in, in certain ways. There There is a certain charm to this movie, absolutely. Um, part of that's sort of from, from the sort of schlockiness. But the premise, and this relates to like the sort of sci-fi stuff, is, is yeah. underdeveloped but has so many like interesting elements like this this alien species the idea of humans living on another planet for like 8000 years um and then sort of being reacquainted with with human beings from earth the, you know the stargate being able to travel distances across civilizations um some some really really cool ideas but then you get scenes like the first shot of uh of of the pyramid and the three moon backdrop on this planet which is clearly Earth's moon flipped, reversed, <laughs> and altered yeah. in size, yeah. which which really undermines the uh, un- uh, undermines the immersion and, mm-hmm. and the sense of this being a fully realized um, realized world, w- which is a shame because the premise is damn good, but it feels sort of watered down, a bit dumbed down, which you know inevitably you're going to get more of a chance to to explore these these deeper ideas and themes in a TV series than you are with a yeah. you know 2 hour blockbuster movie that that goes for like you know popcorn value and entertainment but you know it, it it's a blend of adventure and sci-fi that doesn't quite do either well enough and it's not good enough of a blend to uh to really elevate it yeah it does it does get it it gets way more fleshed out in the TV series. Um, there's only so much they can do in a movie. I think the core premise that is my favorite part of the whole Stargate universe is the idea, and they expand upon it a lot in the TV series. And I keep going back to that. If you have anybody who's who hasn't seen it is listening, go watch it. Go go watch. Get through the first season. Get through the first season. If you don't like it from there, fine. But get through the first season. Um, the idea that. At least starting out with like the ancient, the ancient Egyptian gods and and the whole mythos around them was real in that it was these aliens creating this mythos to enslave the humans at the time. the The pharaohs of old were these aliens, which is a damned interesting sci fi premise. There's a lot to do with that, and they and they really expand on that in the show that it they and I won't spoil how so or what other races or whatever are what but the norse gods end up also being something related and some of the celtic gods and at one point i mean this is only like a a one episode arc so it's like a minor spoiler at one point they meet a gould who's literally portraying like the 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 judeo-christian devil he's literally (laughs) the devil that is his role and this village have like weekly or or monthly sacrifices where they pick someone who clearly has been sinning because they've got chicken pox or whatever they are a sinner and like chain them up outside in the village square everybody hides and this gold shows up and takes them to hell is their assumption yeah. like the this idea that these advanced aliens and they even expand to the story of arthur the knights of the round table and merlin is also related to some aliens in a way <laughs> And and that that's very very later in the series and deals with a whole bunch of new stuff. But Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, it's all these famous mythos. And like I was saying, Atlantis, the story of Atlantis is also because of some not actually aliens, I guess in this case they were humans, but like it's some pretty well trodden sci fi ground. There are some good books and short stories in like the fifties and sixties that explore similar ideas. There are similar Star Trek episodes, Doctor Who episodes that yeah. sort of explore similar ideas of these sort of ancient deities from from old mythologies being you know aliens, <laughs> and it's good stuff. Yeah, I think perfect premise, good enough execution, good enough for the most part. Um, yeah, there's 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 some schlockiness that makes it kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I'd recommend this film. I would. I'd recommend this film. Watch it so you know what the heck a Stargate is, and then go watch the TV series. Yeah. I guess your mileage will vary depending on how much you like, uh, 
old old school sci-fi because this yeah. is old school in certain ways and also you know modern hollywood and others and it's a weird weird blend okay well i think that's about it we're at 58 and a half minutes at this point that's that's pretty good um we will be back we haven't actually decided on our schedule at this point in recording but i won't tell anyone we will be back in a while uh, when this episode gets posted, I will also post the schedule. The next movie, if anybody wants to view it before listening to our next episode of the podcast, will be the 2021 rendition of Dune. So go watch that. It's on a- Currently, as of recording, it's on HBO Max and in theaters. It'll probably be other places later on. If you get a chance to see it in IMAX, I strongly recommend it. Find the biggest screen available. And um, Yeah. Thanks for listening, and that's it for today's episode.